foundation of our lesson this morning will be the Bible. And we're going to just go through it uh, logically in talking about authority. And I hope it makes sense. I think it will. When you start out looking at Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in such a role as creator, he is uh, in control or authority over all that he's created. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And I want us just to look at three verses in there. The first three verses, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, where it said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That God uh, is spoken to us by his son, and it says about his son, through whom also he made the worlds. So God created the heavens and the earth, and, he, and the son apparently was the, the instrument that he used in doing that. And also exp- it says that in verse 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He spoke it into existence, and that same word sustains all this, and it holds it all together, and it works in the order in which it works because God set it up that way. And so he does, then, as creator, he he has all authority. Since he sustains his creation, and by his uh, being who he is as creator, he can do with it and run it however he wishes because he decides. And so we are his subjects because we are really part of the creation and um, of all the universe and beyond. And if you look at a picture of the Milky Way galaxy, which is where our planet is, uh, we're just a speck in it. And it's so vast in size. And then when you draw back further from telescopic pictures, of satellites, uh, there are many more galaxies that uh, it, than just us. So this is this is it's amazing when you look at those photos of what all God is in charge of, of what all He has authority over. In Isaiah chapter forty, turn with me there if you will. Isaiah chapter forty. We find we, we when you're looking at these verses, we find out that we in no way uh, had any say so in creation. Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 17, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales, and in the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted uh, as the small dust in the scale, on the scales. 
Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. So it wasn't any man that he took counsel with when he made the earth like it is. He just did it. And again, we're going to hammer this thing, but he has all authority. And man is created in his image. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. So man has some dominion. We have uh, some authority. Let's just put it that way, I guess, but not God's authority. We are... Uh, and dominion means when he gave us dominion, we rule over, we dominate, we lead, we control, we subdue. So man basically has control over the land mass of this earth, but not entirely. I mean, I don't think man controls Antarctica and the Arctic and uh, the seas and the, the deserts. And You know, it's, it's not that we control them, but we are the dominant being on earth. As far as living things that move on the face of the earth, we are the dominant being. Uh, but we can't do everything. And so we are subjects of his power. We can't control rain, storms, blizzards, uh, summer heat. We, we just can't control any of that. We just adapt and we live. While we do have uh, some dominion then over the land, over the earth, we can't do everything, so therefore we're limited in scope into, into what we can actually control. Uh, but the controller of all of this that works because uh, it does is because of, of God who made it. Now, if you will, uh, turn to Genesis 6. We just, As I mentioned, we're just going to look at some things that are just logical as to what God can do. And God made man, and in Genesis chapter 6, man didn't live in such a way that pleased God. And um, he didn't like the life that man was living, and so God, it says, was grieved in his heart. And that is, except for one man, who was Noah. Noah wasn't perfect, we understand that. But he didn't live like the rest of the world, apparently. And so in Genesis 6, verse 7, God said, uh, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am, I am sorry that I have made them. So he made us. He made man and everything else in the world, and he has authority, and he says, I'm going to destroy it with a flood. Because... I'm grieved at the way men live. And he can do that because of who he is. 
And so the flood was on the uh, over the face of the earth for, uh, uh, I don't know, six months or whatever. I don't know, long time. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, the man has come, Noah has, and his family and all the animals are coming, have come out of the ark. In Genesis 9, verse 3, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herb. So essentially what man, God has done is given man dominion again over his creation. There will be the dominant uh, being on the earth but only because God said it would be that way. And so we didn't decide that. God said it would be. And therefore, we still can't control everything, but um, we are the, the dominant being, and we're made in the likeness, because we're made in the likeness of God. If you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, we find in those verses that, and other places that this is all going to end. Second Peter chapter three, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God created it. God destroyed mankind except for eight people off the face of the earth. And then he brought us back to have dominion over the over the land. And then the Lord says, this is all going to end. And it's going to end because he said it was going to end He because he has authority. He has the right to control or govern over. That's what this authority means. He has jurisdiction over his whole creation because of who he is. And so he's decided to destroy it. And he alone made that decision. It wasn't any of us. He didn't counsel any of us as to what he would do. It's all going to be belt, burned up and it will melt with fervent heat, it says. We have no control over when this is going to happen. We don't know. Man has made some guesses into when it will be that were time passed by now. And uh, it didn't happen. We just have no control and are in the dark as to when this is going to end. But it will end. Now, what we do see is men have a problem staying where God put us. We do. We do have a problem. God gave his law to the Jews. He says, you're my chosen people. Here's my law. You live by my law. And that'll be great. The only problem is, Men, they, the Jews decided that they would worship idols. 
that they wouldn't worship God in the way he said. And God insisted, again, that they worship him in the way he said. But the men were just as insistent that they'll worship how they want to. And so, again, the idols came into being, and uh, the Jews worshipped them just like all the other nations did, trying to be like the other nations. And it was displeasing to God. They were carried away into captivity. You know the stories. <clears throat> they were carried away into captivity because they wouldn't submit to God. They wouldn't do what he said do. So what we find out is men have no say-so in spiritual matters. It's up to God and not man to decide how we are to serve him. But we can't leave that alone. We can't stay where we're supposed to be. As servants, we try to make the rules uh, as God has done. The Jews did not adhere to God's law, so he sent them into captivity. He let a remnant come back home, and they had gotten the message from being in captivity. They didn't serve idols anymore. The Jews didn't. They just didn't. But what we do find out is their trouble was not over that by the time Jesus came, the worship of, by the Jews was by and large displeasing to God because they had decided to change the law of Moses. That wasn't good enough for them. And so they added stricter um, additions to the law. <clears throat> and when they did that, what they had done is changed the law. They didn't just change a law. They changed God's law. And they had no authority for doing it, but they did it. He didn't tell them they could. He said, this is the law. This is what you follow. But they added to it. And so that's where we get into a problem. Men staying where they're not supposed to be, uh, where, they're, where they're supposed to be and getting into God's realm. Because we're, we don't have authority, but God does. Now, all that. I want us to look at two or three things that... Uh, we're doing things that God didn't say do. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now this part right here won't be a part of a religious service or won't be part of a, um, to get you to heaven, but it can keep you out. Matthew 19 verse 1 beginning. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses give a certificate of divorce and put them to put them and to put them away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case, 
of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Let's just stop there. So there's a question that was asked of Jesus by these Pharisees, Jewish leaders, that is a question for now and for all time, apparently. And that question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Think about that now. Is it lawful for a man to, just, to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus goes back to the beginning. God's intention was all along was for a man to leave his father and mother be, and be married to his wife. And they'll be, instead of two, they'll be one. But man has decided, just go ahead and divorce. Just anything. Just go ahead and divorce and then come worship with us. I think it's all about the money myself. They don't want to lose members because they don't want to teach about divorce, something that's hard because of the situations and lives of people today. So they'll, they, they just don't handle, they just don't, they don't talk about it. They won't handle a hard situation like that because they'll lose money. Religious institutions will. So they just don't teach it. And so now men have decided we can just do anything. I made a list of things I was going to had on the uh, PowerPoint. You fall out of love, husband goes to prison, won't buy a new house, he won't work, wife won't cook, she, both of them snore, they work too much, spend too much, too much sports, house cleaning is never done. You could list a whole, it could fill up this room of the reasons that people get divorced. God said there's one reason. There's one reason and one reason only. Did he list all the things you can't get a divorce for? No, but he said for sexual immorality. That's the reason. God says there's a restriction in verse 9. Let me read verse 9 again. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Sexual immorality only. Look at Matthew 5, verse 32. Matthew 5. In verse 32. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Well, there's that sexual immorality thing again. Look at Luke 16, 18. Luke 16, verse 18. Right before the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Hmm. It doesn't fit the paradigm of what men say. Men have said, you just do what you want to. Even though it's perfectly legal in society today, God says, for sexual immorality only. Look at Romans 7. Romans 7. Verse 1. <clears throat> or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. 
But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So we have a principle set up that when you marry, you marry for life, unless, or unless there's sexual immorality there. And so what does man say? We do what we want to. And we're going to do what we want to. Israel did what they wanted to, worshiping God, and God sent them into captivity. So men are taking God's place and taking his authority and say, we can do what we want to. So the question is, who are we going to believe, what God says or what men say? Who has authority? Who is it that has the authority? All authority, I might add. And we know that that's God. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the, first, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He's talking about these Jews that are under his law of Moses. He said there's coming a time there's going to be a new covenant. It'll be, there'll be a new law. He says uh, it, it won't be like this law. This covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, they broke this covenant. My law is going to be in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. It won't be that you're born into this covenant just because you're born into the world. You won't be born into his family just because you were born. But what happens is everyone is taught and then they're born again. And that's by water baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we're born, purified, you know, our souls by obeying the truth. And born again, uh, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a newness of life in following what God says. 
and that's being born, uh, buried, born again, dying through baptism, being raised to, to walk in newness of life. The old sins are washed away. And that's what happens. The way God wants it to happen. In Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, this grace in which you stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through the faith. There's no enmity there. The sins are taken away, justified by faith. But men say, you're saved by faith only. We're saved by faith, but he doesn't teach we're saved by faith only. Look at James 2.24. James 2.24. We went over this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't belabor the point. James 2 verse 24, it says, You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Men will tell you that faith only is a most wholesome doctrine. But Jesus, uh, but the, the, the apostles and the Holy Spirit wrote, man is not saved by faith only. So who is it that has authority? Who is it that can decide whether men are, decide, are, are justified by faith only or not? That's God's law. That's God's place. And he says we're not justified by faith only. We're justified by working as well. It all works together. So who are we going to believe, God or man? Man also says, let Jesus come into your heart and say the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Can't find that in scripture, by the way. But that's what men teach. Who has authority? Again, who has authority? God has all authority. God never commanded anyone who was not one of his people to pray for anything. Never did. Never did, never, never did in Scripture. Never did. What we do find God saying in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he said, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, every one of you, doesn't say anything about sinner's prayer, does it? Doesn't say anything. In Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias told Saul, he says, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism washes away sins. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 21, uh, Peter says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That baptism saves us. It's not faith only. It's not letting Jesus come into your heart and say in the sinner's prayers, baptism saves you. That's the last act. The last step in salvation is baptism. But man, who are you going to believe? Man or the Creator? What we do find in Acts chapter 8, verse 22, we find this. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. 
Now let me read that again. Acts chapter 8 verse 22. Turn there if you will. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Now who said that? Who said that? Peter told Simon that. He did. But what's the circumstances behind it? In Acts chapter 8 verses 12 and 13, Philip had been preaching to them. It says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Simon wanted to buy this ability to transfer the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to other people. And, and Peter told him, your money perish with you because you thought that you might buy the gift of God and uh, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. It's not in your business. That's what he's basically saying. For your heart is not right inside of God. Repent. Repent of this your wickedness and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Jesus uh, Simon had already been baptized for the remission of his sins. The, the ability to pray for forgiveness is for the one who has already been baptized, who is a part of the family of God. But men don't teach that. So the question again, who are you going to believe? Who sets the standard? And that's God. Men will also say, that you the, uh, about the Lord's Supper, once a month is sufficient. Once every six months is sufficient. We all want to do it on Easter Sunday, they'll say. But, you know, that's, that's once a month is sufficient. Acts chapter 20, verse, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached. Paul, ready to depart the next day, I'm sorry, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Paul preached to midnight, but they came together to break bread. They came together to break bread. Their specific purpose was to break bread, to remember, as we did a few minutes ago, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the blood that was shed of our Savior. They came together for that reason. They came together on the first day of the week. Well, which first day of the week? It's the first day on every week, isn't it? So every first day, they came together to break bread. Was it a common meal? They came to eat a meal to enjoy the festivities and all that? Paul, say, or, yeah, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two 22, says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. <laughs> They were abusing the Lord's Supper by turning it into a common meal. And so we have what was written in 1 Corinthians 11. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. In John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? So Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate says, you're not talking to me. You, don't you have anything to say? Do you not know who I am? I have power to crucify and power to release. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You get what he said? You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. God has ordained that men would, some men would rule, uh, and we're elected, uh, but there's a place for men to rule, but it's not in God's realm. It's not in the religious parts of men. The only people on this earth who have any say-so spiritually over us would be the elders in a local congregation, really. And that's all. The preacher can make suggestions. He can teach and preach to us. But the elders look out for our souls. And that's it. Pilate had some authority, but only as long as Caesar allowed him to be governor. Caesar had the jurisdiction over everything in the Roman Empire. God, Jesus, has all authority forever. It just is. That's the way it is. Men get in places where we shouldn't be. We do things we shouldn't do religiously because we've decided that we know better than God, apparently. But God has all authority because he is creator. and He's decided how things will be. And it's not good for us to put ourselves in his place. If you need to respond to the God's invitation to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, or to, if you've already done that, need prayers of faithful saints, why don't you come while together we stand and while we sing.